Thank you, Christian, for that reading. And thank you all for being here. It's good to see everybody. And uh, always good to be together. I know we have several who are missing, and we have for, for quite a while. But uh, slowly we're seeing more and more, and, uh, and we're going to settle in, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later, into something that we're more familiar with in terms of our services and classes and things like that. So that will be an ongoing discussion, I'm sure. But we're, we're glad to see, see each other when we are able to see each other. And this morning is, of course, no exception. I appreciate that reading. I gave Christian a bit of a lengthy one this morning, uh, uh, six verses of, uh, of 1 John, that deals with two things that are a part of our daily life. They are so intuitive and inherent uh, to life itself, we don't think about it that often. The concept of light and darkness and the difference between the two. Light is something that in Scripture represents God, the Father, and also Jesus, the Son. And light and darkness is used consistently throughout Scripture by the writers of various texts in, in, our, in our Bible to describe the difference between essentially good and evil. We see that carried forth even in literary constructs throughout human history. We see it used in books, in films, even in stage productions. Because there is something that is intuitive to us about light representing goodness and darkness representing evil. The Bible even talks about the, the things that happen in the daytime happen out in the open. And the things that are evil happen in the darkness when it's concealed. When we're home during the day, very few of us probably lock our doors while we're just home and about things in our, in our house, especially in a town like Monroe. But at night, I'm sure there's a much larger percentage of people that lock their doors. We don't feel all that nervous about going for a walk during the day. But at nighttime, we might be more hesitant, particularly in a, in a, in a town or a city or a part of town that might be a little more rough than others. We do that because there is that component to darkness that it conceals, it obscures, it makes things difficult to understand, comprehend, and notice. But in the daytime, all is exposed. Light gives that exposure, and in that exposure, there is safety and there is security. Light is, in a sense, purity. There is a purity to light in how it's described and how we understand it. We see in light an unadulterated truth of the world around us. In the darkness, things look, look very different. They can be disorienting. Last summer, and I think most of you heard the story uh, that occurred while I was traveling to Arkansas by myself. We had, as a family, been down there one weekend, and I spoke at a congregation, and I had an appointment to speak the following week so everyone came home and I went back down by myself, just a quick down and back. And, and so I was driving on Friday night to get there early, like daybreak Saturday morning. And around Poplar Bluff, Missouri, the highway, uh, and, and Marv, you may have driven this highway before. I'm not sure if you have or not down that way. But when you're going, uh, you get off of I-55 south of St. Louis and you head toward Poplar Bluff. And as I was approaching Poplar Bluff, this highway is a divided highway, but it didn't used to be used to be a two-lane highway. And so it goes over the hills and the curves. And when a four-lane state highway or interstate's constructed, they try to make them flat and straight. 
So you can tell that one side of this highway is the original highway, two lanes running south because it has the hills and the curves. The other side on a, a very distant median over is straight and flat because it was the new side. I'm on the old side and it's dark. It's about 3.30 in the morning and I'm drinking my coffee and I'm feeling good. Just a few hours left to get to mom and dad's. And there's radio towers everywhere, and they have blinking red lights on them. And occasionally, you'll come around a curve, and because of the hills, it looks like someone's in your lane. It can be disorienting because it's dark. And it was on that dark road, uh, August the 1st it would have been, of this past year, as I was driving, there was a gentleman who was riding a, a motorcycle or a scooter who turned onto that highway on the wrong side and was coming my direction as I was going his, he's going the wrong way. As I came over a hill, what police believe is that he tried to stop and turn around and wrecked just a few feet in front of me. And as my headlights reached before I ever realized that there was anyone in the road, uh, this gentleman, I saw his bike and then I saw him in my lane and he was struck and killed. Now that was a terrifying experience for me, a tragic experience for him but the result of, in part, darkness. The confusion that darkness gives us. And it had deadly consequences and long-lasting consequences. Because in the daytime, that kind of mistake doesn't happen because we see things. There is unadulterated truth. Light is never mistaken for dark. They are polar opposites. They are juxtaposed to one another. Light exposes things. And this is the essence of the gospel and the metaphor in the gospel of light and dark. There's a component in this passage that we need to address. This is the message, verse 5 of 1 John chapter 1. This is the message which we've heard from him, that's Jesus, and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness. That juxtaposition, the inability for darkness to exist in the light. Now, then in verse 6, the writer says, if we say we have fellowship with him, that's with Jesus, and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. Light reveals the truth. And the, the lack of ability for light and dark to coexist means that the light forces us to be honest. There is a component of honesty that exists when we walk in the light because it exposes the difference between what we say and what we do. Walking in the light is not just walking in a pathway of doing the right thing. It's not just keeping within the rules. Walking in the light is allowing yourself to be honest and exposed and accountable to show that your words match your actions. What we say and what we do must match, John writes. If we say we have fellowship with him, but we're not walking like it, then it becomes very obvious that we are not in union with Christ. Words and actions must fit together. You remember the, the, the story where Jesus is passing by a fig tree and he reaches into this fig tree and it's got leaves on it. The bark looks like a fig tree. The shape of it's a fig tree. Everything about it says it's a fig tree, but he reaches in, there's no figs on it. And Jesus curses the fig tree. It's a curious thing. 
It's a curious thing to, to see, but I believe Jesus is making a point that if you are trying to look like you're something, if you're trying to proclaim that you're something outwardly, but you don't produce the fruit of that something, then you aren't worth anything. If a tree doesn't produce fruit, he says that many times in his parables and in his teachings, then what good is it? There was a dishonest component of that tree. It looked like something, but it didn't produce that something. And so it was cursed and it died. We can't say one thing and be another. There are very stark consequences for that sort of thing because we lie and the truth is not in us. What do we miss out on? Well, the things that this passage tells us we receive by walking in the light and having fellowship with Christ are the blessings of a life in Christ and the blessings of fellowship with one another. We're brought into union with one another because of our union with God through Christ. We have that in common. When I was growing up, and many of you have probably experienced this, you'd have relatives um, who, you know, maybe an aunt or an uncle or something by marriage, and then a marriage of a relative ends. They're no longer together. And you might still see the blood relative of that relationship at Thanksgiving or Christmas, but then their former spouse is no longer around. They just completely cut out of your life. Someone you might have come to know for many years because their marriage ended. Their relationship came to an end. Now they don't have a place in the family because they've left the family. So we miss out on that relationship as a result. When we don't have fellowship with Christ, we can't have fellowship with one another because what binds us together is Jesus. Now, I might like some of you and we might be friends outside of church and that's great, we should be. But what binds us together as Christians, if we don't have that, we lose not just our relationship with God, we lose our relationship with one another. And that's something we can't afford to miss out on. But what John's trying to convince the reader of here is that actions have consequences. That the way we live, if not in, in harmony with what we hope to be or what we say we are, have negative consequences. We don't often see the negative consequences, the cause and effect as it comes down the road. It's not till later that we suffer those consequences. And as a result, we have to get really good at looking ahead. And realize that when we sacrifice for, for the moment the things that God has promised us, we are settling for less and we're missing out. Some of you might remember the, the blockbuster video chain of movie rental stores. This is a big part of my life growing up. <coughs> Excuse me. Anyone who <clears throat> grew up in the in the 80s and 90s, it was a big part of their life too. Man, on Friday night, you know, you don't have school the next day. We'd get in the car, we'd drive to a video rental place, and it was just a giant room full of movies to rent. That was how we found movies to watch. When our family wants to have a movie night, we just click a button, and it's there because everything is online and it's streaming. We had to go to a place and we had to, to find what we wanted and hope they had it, right? Blockbuster Video is one of the biggest companies in the world. They had thousands and thousands, I think 9,000 locations in the United States at one time. 
I mean, they were dominating that industry. And a little video rental company, movie rental company, in the early or in the late 90s came to them and said, we, we've, we've been doing movie rentals now for a few years. We do them through the mail. We don't have physical stores. People tell us what movie they want and we send it to them and then they send it back when they're done. And this company said, we're looking to sell our business and we think Blockbuster would be an excellent buyer. So here was the biggest movie rental chain in the country and this little company that was doing mail order video rentals wanting to, to sell to them for, I think, like some $50 million or something. You know, some, some large sum to you and I, but a small sum to a company like Blockbuster. And Blockbuster said, we don't have any interest in a company that does movies through the mail. And they told him no. Kind of laughed him out of the meeting. And a few years later, that company, which was called Netflix, figured out a way that they could put those movies online and they could be streamed on demand and viewers could pay a subscription. And has anyone seen a Blockbuster in a while? No, they're gone. They filed bankruptcy. In fact, video rental stores in general no longer exist. There used to be one here in town until like a year or two ago, which is an anomaly in the greater part of this world because Blockbuster didn't see the future. They didn't see down the road. They didn't see what was coming. And they turned down this offer thinking they were saving money and a lot of time and trouble and bad investment. And that decision was what precipitated the undoing of their company. Their own choice brought about their demise because they couldn't see down the road. They settled for less. They saved a little money in the meantime, but they lost everything in the end. That's what we do when we choose darkness over light, when we choose sin over righteousness. Walking in the light gives us access to the saving power of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Access to that cleansing power comes from walking in the light. Fellowship with one another is on this same basis. It doesn't say that if we walk in the light, we're not going to sin. It doesn't say if we walk in the light that we're not going to mess up. It says if we walk in the light, we have access to forgiveness from that sin. Because walking in the light is walking in union with Christ. It's walking in the love and the blood of Jesus. So that we have access to the redemption, the justification of that sin. Nowhere in this passage does it say you're not going to sin. In fact, it admits walking in the light will involve you sinning from time to time. But it also involves you accessing the saving power of Christ's blood because those who walk in darkness walk in seclusion and walk in concealment. Their sin is kept secret. And when you can't be honest about your sin, you can't find forgiveness for that sin. We must admit to ourselves that we are sinners before we can seek forgiveness of sin. So darkness is not just blinding the world to your sin, it's blinding yourself. It's sequestering yourself 
from the power of Christ's blood. But walking in the light means honesty and humility and openness and accountability that I'm a sinner and the only thing that has redeemed me is the blood of Christ. And I will walk in the light in fellowship with other Christians so that I can access that power as I need it because I need it every day. Sin is the reason that Jesus gave his life. And that's what it means to walk in the light. It means that we walk with honesty. It means that we accept that we're going to mess up. It means that we follow after God. And following after him means following after his son and where he points us. It means to walk in honesty. It means to have humility. It means also to have fellowship with one another. That keeps us in the light. And it means to walk in the blessing of continual cleansing from that sin. Don't settle for less. Don't get comfortable in darkness. They tell people, if you I remember when I was, I was probably Oliver's age or, or a little bit older, and there was this person who was terrorizing central Arkansas. This guy had a vehicle that looked kind of like a police car and he installed a blue light on the car. And he would drive around at night and target vulnerable women and pretend to be pulling them over. He'd turn the light on, they called him the blue light rapist because he would target these women, he would pull them over and then he would assault them. He was a serial offender, he was eventually caught. But during that period of time, and even still, it's just good practice, they would tell people, if a police officer is pulling you over, if you see flashing lights behind you, go to a well-lit area. Go to a police station. Go somewhere with a lot of light, a lot of exposure before you pull over. Go somewhere where you will be safe just in case what is coming your way is not what it seems. That's good practice even still even after that guy was caught. And I think about that often. It means being, acknowledging and being aware and cognizant of the fact that there are dangerous things in this world and the, the greatest way to combat them is with light, with exposure. The threats of this world, the threats of Satan's arrows, the threats that entangle us and drag us away from Jesus are fought best in the light and in fellowship, in honesty and humility. And that's what we seek after. That's what we journey together toward. It is a life of fellowship, of union with one another and with Christ for the continual cleansing of our sin. And this morning, if you, if you need that light in your life, if you need that to expose things, to help you be honest with yourself, to bring humility to your life, if you need to join with your fellow Christians in addressing the attacks that Satan is making on your heart, then we want to do that for you. If we can pray for you, if we can walk with you, if we can be of any assistance to you, let us know. And we're going to stand together and sing this final song.